Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. On this week's show, a Dave rave and why we should all go to Madrid. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast. I'm Tiernan Duyeb, which, when translated into Japanese, is Tiernan Duyeb, because that's how names work. Here we are in March, the only month that's also in order, and already it's episode 7 of this podcast. I hugely, hugely appreciate the nice comments that we've been getting on iTunes, saying how much you're all enjoying it. Um, Especially the one from Mafu83 that I saw this morning, who'd clearly listened to my advice at the end of last week's show, and has just posted the word buttress 29 times. Excellent, excellent work, Mafu83. Also, some of you have been saying that you can't download this show on the iPhone Podcasts app properly, which is clearly an issue, as I can't download it on my iPhone either. Um, My webman James, um, and yeah, webman does sound a little bit like a pound shot Marvel hero, um, James has investigated, and it seems, well, uh, it's basically Apple being really, really difficult. There's no real tips anywhere on how we're meant to fix it. And I mean, look, really, if they're not going to cooperate with the FBI, then we have got absolutely no chance. That's a tricky situation, isn't it? That whole Apple FBI thing. I mean, personally, I think that we should always continue to protect people's privacy. But then if the info on that phone could be used to stop further attacks, then it'd probably be quite handy if the FBI had it. But then, what if the FBI having it sets a precedent for them to break into all our phones all the time and they'd find out really terrible secrets about everyone, like just how much time I actually spend on Twitter? Hairy, dried apricot Donald Trump thinks that Apple should back down, so working on how everything he says is completely wrong, maybe they shouldn't. I think it's incredible how the iPhone can manage to keep all that information so incredibly secure, but apparently it freezes if you change the date to 1970. Not that I know why you'd do that in the first place. But you sort of think you may as well spend 200 quid on a time capsule and just bury your secrets in the garden. So yeah, sorry, uh, what I mean is we are on the case with the downloads, and by we I mean James. Uh, I don't understand what to do with it at all. Oh, and this week's episode should hopefully sound a bit better as well, uh, mainly because I'm not editing it after drinking beer with a friend. <clears throat> Sorry. 
So hopefully you'll get a chance to listen to this week's show, though, as it is filled with lots and lots of stuff, including a very, very fascinating interview with Dr. Amy Ludlow and Professor Catherine Barnard at Cambridge University, uh, who are both currently undertaking a research project into EU migration. I'm also going to be talking about cuts. Yes, I said that right. This one is a clean episode. And oh, there'll be that jingle again. Uh, Sorry about that, but no one has sent me another one to use, so you'll just have to suffer. But first, in line with the 88th Oscars ceremony this week, here are the headlines. The winner of the most boring costume design goes to David Cameron, who this week decided that the leader of the opposition, Jeremy Corbyn, needed some fashion tips. Jezza was asking Dave questions about the NHS and junior doctors' contracts during Prime Minister's questions, seemingly forgetting that it is called Prime Minister's questions because there's never, ever any Prime Minister's answers. You'd get more useful information out of the door that always lies in Labyrinth. Anyway, a Labour MP heckled Cameron telling him to ask his mum about the cuts in Oxfordshire after she signed a petition against them last week, and Dave responded with... Ask my mother. Oh, I think I know what my mother would say. I think she'd look across the dispatch box and she'd say, put on a proper suit, do up your tie and sing the national anthem. Which isn't really what people need to hear to be reassured about the government's strategy on the health service. Is this going to be standard fare from now? Dave, what are you going to do about the increasing lack of teachers in the education service? I think your hat is rubbish and where oh where did you get your shoes from? Was it the dustbin? I mean, it's also quite dishonest from a man who's been photographed many times without a tie and whose second-in-command, George Osborne, is often dressed up in high-vis like a member of the village people. I mean, it also calls into question why Cameron wants everyone to be dressed up smart and singing the national anthem. It's a little bit North Korea, isn't it? Jeremy Corbyn responded a day later saying that David Cameron was jealous of his Holloway Road style. Having lived near Holloway Road my whole life, the only fashion choice you make there is not wearing obvious valuables. Honestly, they once put a display of spring flowers along the central reservation and most of us assumed that there'd been a mass gang killing there and that was the memorial. Look, anyway, the plus side of all this is that Cameron's soundbite sounds great to an old school rave tune. Put on a proper suit, do up your tie and sing the national anthem. Put on a proper suit, proper suit, proper suit, proper suit. Do up your tie, do up your tie. The winner for emulating this year's Oscar theme a little bit too well is... Well, we don't know the name, but Black MP Dawn Butler mentioned on Radio 5 Live that she was in a members-only lift when another MP told her, this lift isn't really for cleaners. Now, there's a teeny-weeny chance that that MP was just bestowing her with an unneeded fact. You know, like when I tell people, out of the blue, that wombat poop is cubed. Yes, yes it is. It is a brilliant fact to tell everyone you know. But, look, the much higher chance is that the MP was actually being massively racist and sexist, making the assumption that because Dawn is black and female, she must be a cleaner. And so, completely not like what their idea of MPs are. You know, thanks to that hilarious white patriarchy that we have. Sadly, Butler has said that this is one of many racist remarks that have been made towards her since she was elected in 2005. Again, I can't say it's at all surprising, especially considering how many of those in the Commons seem to act as though we'd all be better off back in colonial times. But it is still incredibly upsetting for 2016. Politicians have a responsibility to combat racism and sexism, but with these sorts of comments, it looks like that'll only happen if Dawn Butler is allowed to punch bigots in lifts. 
The winner of the worst use of budget goes to... The Ministry of Justice, who this week cancelled a GPS tagging contract that they've already spent £21 million on. The contract was brought in in 2012 by Chris Nothing Behind the Eyes Grayling, saying that it would save money and track and monitor offenders. But now the Ministry of Justice have said it wouldn't save money, so they've cancelled it. Well, no, of course it won't save money, it's already cost you £21 million for nothing. I wonder if they'd have been better off just using that money to buy some big bloody calculators. So that's this cancelled contract, as well as G4S and Serco still being paid for services that they've been banned from delivering. It's very lucky Justice is blind, because otherwise, if she saw the current Ministry of Justice bank accounts, she'd be one angry lady. The award for least supportive act goes to... George Osborne, who's warned of further cuts like an over-enthusiastic barber. The next budget is on March the 16th, and George has already warned of more public services cuts, pulling out classic quotes like, We need to balance the books. Which he says so many times, you wonder why he hasn't taken elocutions and deportment lessons to do it. He says it's due to economic turmoil, which, thanks to low interest rates and previous quantitative easing, the UK is now totally unprepared for. Thanks very much, George! So basically, he's saying that due to his poor management of the economy so far, the public have to suffer the brunt of his mistakes again. I'm starting to wonder if he's actually always in high-vis, so that like a builder, he can just keep upping the estimates, saying that it's a much bigger job than he first realised. Right, it is time for everyone's favourite jingle. With or without you, with or without you. This week's EU news has been largely letting us know which politician you really don't like and try not to remember that they still exist is now backing the Leave campaign. Ian Duncan-Smith is going to be backing it, saying that leaving the EU would be a stride into the light, which I think sounds like he wants us all to die. Which he probably does, to be fair, as that'd mean he just wouldn't have to pay out for pensions or welfare anymore. Startled Egg and former Conservative leader Michael Howard also said that he'd be backing the Leave campaign, which was a shock to everyone, but mostly only because we'd all assumed he was dead. UKIP's Douglas Carswell said that Howard's announcement was massive, which is completely wrong. Uh, A, because Howard's opinion is about as important to most people as hearing their old neighbour that they didn't like once once thought a thing about a thing, and because B, actually, jungle is massive. Meanwhile, the government's official report says that a Brexit would lead to a decade of financial uncertainty. Yeah? You should try being self-employed, mate. Anyway... That is enough from me on the EU this week, because our interview is with two guests who are, again, far, far more knowledgeable about it all than most pundits that you'll see on the TV. I spoke to Dr Amy Ludlow and Professor Catherine Barnard from Cambridge University, who are currently working on a project funded by the Economic and Social Research Council that explores the experiences of EU migrant workers in the UK. EU migration is, and will continue to be, one of the main issues of the referendum, so... I thought I'd ask Catherine and Amy a few questions on whether it's something we should actually be so concerned about. Amy and Catherine, thank you very much for speaking to me today. Um, firstly, can you tell me about your current research into EU migrants in the UK uh, and what yeah. it is that you're looking into? 
So what we're interested in is really gathering the experiences of um, EU nationals who are working in the UK to try and understand what what brings them to the UK, what are their aspirations and also perceptions, and then what's life like when they arrive. So how do they go about looking for a job? How do they find accommodation? Some very practical things. And our aim really is to inform public opinion in anticipation of the referendum on membership of the EU in June. Right. And is that because uh, do you think that we're being given a lot of incorrect information about that? Or is that just that you want to kind of clarify the information that's already been given? There are a lot of stereotypes about immigration. Um, and one of the things that we're trying to do on the project is to actually find out whether, um, as the government has maintained or parts of the government have maintained, that uh, people are being drawn to the United Kingdom because of the benefits that we offer. And so what we're trying to look at is whether benefits are really a pull factor or, or um, is it that they really want to come here for, uh, to work, uh, to improve their language skills um, or to join family. There's a whole bunch of reasons why people migrate. How many people have you spoken to so far? The project's only just started um, and it builds on earlier work that we've been doing looking at uh, whether EU8 migrants, so EU8 are those uh, countries that joined the EU in 2004, primarily the Eastern European states, whether they actually enforce their employment rights. So do they actually go to employment tribunals or not? Um, And so we've spoken to um, dozens, I think now, of of people uh, of all sorts of different types of different um, work backgrounds, working in different sectors. But we've also been speaking to lots of organisations. So there are many organisations who work with or to support migrant workers in for different reasons. And we've been speaking to them really over the last two two years. And, and what do you, I mean, well, for a start, you said that they're kind of a mix from uh, various different countries. Are there notable um main reasons that people are coming are there definitely things that you go right well this is why the bulk of people are coming over or is it very varied from the research we've done so far the principal reason why people have come here is for work purposes they want to get work and indeed uh, i was interviewing a teacher last Mm. week um from um the uh, from spain and he was saying that actually he would have been far better off if he'd stayed in spain to get his benefits um, there because there are much higher rates in Spain if you've worked before because it's a contribution-based system. So he has not come for the to the UK for benefits at all. He's come um, to get work and also to improve his English. And right. it's true that several of the Polish um, nationals who we've been speaking to recently have said that it's not a case of coming to the UK at any cost. They come, or these people have come with a specific aim in mind, which is about self-progression. And um, at the point at which that's not possible within the UK, their view is that they're going to return to Poland where they have prospects to be perhaps more successful in what they want to do there. There's the thing as well that all this talk of kind of closing borders, etc., or getting rid of free movement in the EU. There's quite a lot of UK migrants that go to the EU <laughs> to work uh, for professional reasons as well. So, I mean, it seems fairly safe to assume that's exactly why people come here, isn't it? Absolutely. It's about the same number of um, Brits who have migrated to other member states as there are um, EU migrants in the UK. It's about two, mi- two million on both sides. 
Right. Yeah. Which is uh, it, it's something that I sometimes joke about. But I presume if we were to get rid of EU migrants, we'd have to take the UK migrants back <laughs> from the EU, which I'm not sure many would be that pleased about. Um, but uh, <laughs> they've made a conscious decision to go because um, they enjoy the quality of life in the south of Spain. They enjoy the weather. Their, their pension goes further um, than it does here. Sure. Um, and they might just not want to come back. Uh, and this does, you know, were we to vote to leave the EU, um, the status of these individuals becomes um, much more precarious. Of course, of course. And um, and you say that a lot of the, you're speaking to a Spanish teacher, a lot of the people moving over are professionals in their area, aren't they? They're already qualified and well trained in their field of work, or is it quite varied again? It's, uh, the, it's, it's difficult to make any assessment of that because, as you're probably aware, we don't record um, the numbers of people migrating to the UK from elsewhere in the European Union. So we really don't know um, the profile of um, the migrants who are coming here, but certainly from our own research, uh, migrants um, full of, do a whole range of jobs, a lot work out in the fens, picking daffodils, packing um, foodstuffs. Um, but also there's a very large um, number who are here doing professional, semi-professional jobs. And interestingly, we were talking recently to a Polish uh, national who described the, he described this um, population of professionals who are really integrated with the UK as blended people who are mostly voiceless and faceless. Um, so these, I, my sense is there are probably lots of professionals who are um, contributing very actively and uh, happily to the British economy and who, for whatever reason, the media don't always pick up on. Yeah, I, I discovered only recently, actually, that I, I think it was in November, David Cameron said half of all of EU migrants here are on benefits, but uh, there's no resource for that figure at all. They, uh, The government haven't yet provided anywhere that they got those statistics from. Um, so, uh, and as you're saying, it doesn't, uh, there's no actual proof that that's happening, is there? I'm, well, I mean, obviously, some migrants are claiming benefits, and there are some statistics um, on that. Um, they generally claim much lower levels of benefits in total uh, than the local population for the simple reason that most of them are young and therefore not claiming pensions. Right. Um, and indeed, they are, all the economic research indicates that they are net contributors to the British economy. Now, as far as in-work benefits are concerned, these are tax credits, um, they are claiming, um, migrants are claiming more or less um, at the same rate as nationals. But the, the issue with in-work benefits, and I'm sorry to be technical here, but the issue with in-work benefits is that if you earn a low level, a low, a low amount of money, the state will top up irrespective of how much you have um, contributed in the past. So it's because our system is based loosely on the idea of the universality of benefits if you are poor you get benefits rather than some sort of contribution based system which is what you have on the continent right yeah because uh, i spoke to an eu policy specialist a couple of weeks ago who said that we are the only country that has in work benefits because uh i mean the way that he put it which might be i presume slightly incorrect but he said that you know the the way that the working system is in the rest of Europe. People don't need in work benefits, uh, and it's perhaps more a comment on the way that work, have, uh, you know, working rights are in the UK. Um, that's perhaps slightly oversimplifies the sure. situation in in some member states. But 
loosely speaking, um, the continental system is characterised more as a contributions-based system, so you only get the entitlement to claim a benefit once you've contributed for a period. Uh, the British system, on the other hand, is more universal. And so, as I said, if you're poor um, and you are needy, you will get um, uh, help of some sort. Sure. So, and from you explaining that, because part of uh, this emergency break where it to happen of, of David Cameron's, you know, EU renegotiation would mean that they we'd have to pay some migrants child benefit how uh, equivalent to their country's benefits. But that sounds like that would be an incredibly complicated thing to do if each country does it differently. So there are two issues there. The emergency break is separate from the exportability of child benefit. Right. Emergency break applies to in-work benefits. Those are the tax credits. And as far as the emergency break is concerned, um, we've got a right uh, under the agreement which was concluded last week um, to put the break on and say um, no in-work benefits um, for four years, but it's not a total exclusion. The longer you're there, the more um, entitlement to benefits you'll get. This raises all sorts of problems about how to prove when somebody first came here, how long they've been here, um, all of which will need to be sorted out. So that's in-work benefits. The other issue is the exportability of um, child benefit. Now, EU law does allow um, child benefit to be sent back to your home country. So if I'm a Polish worker working in the UK, I can send um, child benefit back to my child in Poland. Now, David Cameron said he wanted to stop that practice. Um, he didn't actually get that in the agreement last week. Instead, what he got was the possibility to index the child benefit. And by that, I mean um, connection between how much can be sent back to the cost and standard of living in Poland. Now, right. the interesting question that that raises is if I'm a Luxembourg national uh, and I've got my child um, in Luxembourg, will the UK actually have to send more than the British child benefit back um, for my, me as a Luxembourg worker back to Luxembourg because the cost of living is so much higher there? Right. Um, now, that hasn't been sorted out, but I imagine they might say um, it's index-linked in respect of uh, countries who, uh, where the cost of living is below that in the United Kingdom. Right, OK. Yeah, that's, uh, that seems like that could be quite an oversight. Yeah, the, there's, there's some fairly open-textured language in the agreement which allows some flexibility there. Back to Catherine and Amy in a minute, but first... Put on a proper suit, do up your tie and sing the national anthem. Put on a proper suit, proper suit, proper suit, proper suit. Do up your tie, do up your tie, do up your tie and sing the I've never understood the government's ideas about people and work. You know, for a start, they keep mentioning hard-working families, which can't really be a thing as a whole family can't actually go to work. I mean, children haven't been allowed to work for quite some time. So it does sort of make you wonder if maybe they just want to start pushing for workhouses again. Hmm. And then there's this whole idea of hard-working people in general and how to encourage people into work, when the thing is, most people I know who are in work hate it and would much rather not be in work if they could and don't really work hard when they're there because otherwise they'll just be given even more work to do. Seems like a massive waste of time. Alternatively, people I've met who don't have a job aren't really pleased about that either and would much prefer to be working if they could rather than just being slackers as the government thinks. 
I mean, really, most daytime television is enough to make anyone wish that they could leave the house. I mean, how many bargains does one person need in a week? Jesus! And then there's the idea that the Department of Work and Pensions seem to have, that people will be far more incentivised to work if you cut all the money and the support that they need in order to get to it. I mean, I don't know about you, but nothing makes me more enthused about slogging away at a job than knowing I can't even afford to travel there in the first place. I understand that necessity drives innovation, but if you can't drive yourself there in the first place because you're one of the 14,000 disabled people who've had your mobility car taken away, then it won't help. The House of Lords have just defeated, for a second time, plans to cut disability benefits by £30 a week from £102.15 to £73. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. They'd already voted for an amendment to this bill to reverse this cut once. But MPs decided to overturn the House of Lords decision, with Conservatives winning a majority in the House of Commons. Because, well, I mean, look, jokes aside, I think they genuinely hate disabled people. There is no other reason that you'd do it. If you listen back to episode three of this show, where we spoke to Anita Bellows from Disabled People Against the Cuts, she said just how many of the cuts are directly affecting people with serious illnesses or disabilities. Those claiming ESA, Employment Support Allowance, are considered by the DWP to be incapable of work but may be able to return to employment in the future. There are lots of case studies that show that that assessment may well be wrong in the first place with a number of people, but more than that, if you cut the money that helps these people with work-focused interviews and training programmes, then it certainly won't help them get back into work any quicker. I mean, you may as well snatch food away from starving people to see if it incentivises them into becoming Michelin-starred chefs. The whole idea is that this cut brings ESA into line with Job Seekers Allowance, which doesn't take into any consideration any extra support those on ESA might need, which would mean that the amount that they actually get is then lower than Job Seekers Allowance once you take the money off for the extra support that they need. It's a bit like whoever scripted this policy had been forced to do their job despite not being capable and now wants to take that out on everyone else. 
both Minister for Employment and trainee weasel Pretty Patel and evil potato Ian Duncan Smith have managed to dodge all questioning about this. And they've ignored all criticism from disability charities saying just how dangerous this cut will be. Instead, they just keep saying, disabled people need support. Well, if their idea of support is taking support away, then I would hate to see how they build a tent. Now, it's been defeated a second time, this cut, but MPs will probably attempt to overturn it again. And this, apparently, is known as parliamentary ping-pong, which I believe is because they view people's lives as a game that most people play very badly with absolutely no control. Perhaps there should be a motion to remove all MPs' expenses and 30% of their salary in the hope that it might incite them to work harder and actually listen to those they represent. Though, I reckon, most of them probably wouldn't pass the fit-for-work assessment in the first place. And now back to Professor Barnard and Dr Ludlow. Do you think that any of this would make a difference to EU migration? You know, do you think any of these proposals would actually stop EU migrants wanting to come here? Well, while the economy in in countries like Spain and Italy um, is in a dire strait, um, young professionals who want to get on in their lives will move because uh, the opportunities here are great. Um, They will move for a number of years. Um, We've met a lot of people who've said they'll be here for a a while. They'll wait till the economy gets better and they will go back because um, a lot of people are deeply attached to their own countries and to their own families. Um, And uh, particularly in the case of the Spanish, they miss the weather almost more than anything else. And they want to go back because, uh, and they, but they want to go back with more options available themselves because their English by that stage will have improved significantly. So um, the benefits um, issue doesn't really um, affect their calculation. Now, for those who've been here for some time, um, it may have a marginal effect because, as I was explaining to you about the um, exportability of child benefit, At the moment, it will only apply to new migrants, but from uh, the 1st of January 2020, it will also apply to migrants who are already here. Right. And so that may act as some disincentive to migrants who are already here, uh, and they may decide that that is the final straw and use that as an excuse to go back. But um, even George Osborne has admitted um, that migrants don't really come here for benefits. It's something that's got into the um, popular imagination. Um, and so these changes, assuming we vote to uh, remain in the EU, these changes um, won't make very much difference. Right. And why do you think it's been such a, um, a key issue of the EU campaign? If I mean, as you say, there's just as many UK migrants in the EU as there are EU migrants here. Why, why do you think this has been pushed in, in such a way? If you are a low-skilled white uh, Brit who um, feels very threatened by globalisation, immigration is just one aspect of the fact that um, you feel um, overwhelmed by the other, the foreign who are coming here. Um, And... For that reason, it's it's quite good to focus on the other, to have someone to blame for the shifts um, in uh, the economy and in society over which you feel you have very little control. Because, yeah, there is part of me as well that, that and, and uh, 
I should say that I, I find so much of this very confusing on the EU campaign. Um, but there's, you know, sometimes there are articles in uh, headlines on BBC News, for example, about EU migrants in the UK and then about the EU migration crisis, which is a completely separate thing to do with refugees from Syria. And do you think that there's a danger that people are kind of blurring the two because it's very similar terms? I think, that, uh, I think that's a very good point. I think that's absolutely correct. Um, the... Uh, migrants coming from Syria are coming uh, largely as uh, asylum seekers and relying on international law rights which have been recognised under EU law to enable them to come. Sure, yeah, so it's a, it, it, so it, the same language is being used though for both, yeah. which is an issue, I presume. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, and of course, because uh, we're not part of Schengen, uh, so the United Kingdom isn't part of Schengen, therefore um, these um, uh, migrants who've got into countries like Greece, um, with um, who, which have open borders uh, with the other Schengen state, Schengen zone states, um, they can travel right across the Schengen zone, but they can only get as far as France and the so-called uh, jungle at Calais, because once they try and get into the UK, we have border controls. Right. And so we are not getting the Syrian migration that um, other Schengen zone states are getting, um, albeit that we have agreed to take um, 20,000 Syrian um, refugees, but they are coming directly from camps in Lebanon and not um, those who've arrived on the shores in, in Greece um, and Italy. Right, yeah, and that is information that I don't see being given very clearly very often. Yes, because it's quite. It, you've kindly given us um, several minutes to explain uh, most news channels will only give you 30 or 40 seconds. Um, and what is what we've just talked about is actually quite complicated. Yes, of course. Of course it is. And it, it, I find that with, you know, it's uh, most issues to fully understand them require a little bit of conversation rather than a headline, uh, which is often the problem. Um, so, uh, so back to just the EU migrants. It, I mean, you're saying about the uh, obviously emergency break and the um, some of the renegotiation plans probably wouldn't make much difference to EU migrants coming here because because they're not here for the benefits anyway. Would leave, leaving the EU though, I presume, would make quite a large difference. Um, it would certainly remove the um, entitlement to free movement unless, um, as part of the deal to leave, we entered into some sort of um, EEA, European Economic Area Agreement. That's what's sometimes referred to in the press as the Norway situation. Sure. If we if we did a Norway, as it's as it's called, um, it means that uh, the single market rules will still apply, including um, free movement. Right. Okay. So that's right. So even leaving the EU might not satisfy the needs that some people have <laughs> or want to, you know, to uh, cause them to leave the EU in the first place. And it would only work um, if uh, we withdrew from the EU and nothing else was put in its place. And I should say that um, although there has been high levels of EU migration, i.e. immigrants, migrants coming from other EU states, uh, in respect of um, migration as a whole, there are still more third country nationals, i.e. non-EU migrants, coming into the UK than EU migrants. And we have control over our borders, we have total control over our borders in respect of third country nationals, and yet they still outnumber EU migrants coming to the UK. Right, and then I presume if we left the EU, then 
uh, our just number of migrants would go up anyway. <laughs> it's an argument that that might be the case. Yeah. But they just wouldn't have the right to come as they do under EU law. Sure. So um, so in, in, in your opinion, I mean, obviously the campaigns for the EU out and in campaign have only just started. And, uh, and unfortunately, we've got several more months to go of it. Um, I mean, do you think that the campaigns are giving people the correct information that they need to properly make a decision on whether we should stay in the European Union or not? Um, both sides um, have uh, been uh, economical with the facts. Uh, and there are now some good organisations that are set up to fact check what's being said by both sides. Now I declare an interest here because um, I'm involved with Full Fact. Oh, uh, that's great. I've used them several times myself. Good. Wonderful. Well, that's a very good and wise choice because they are a non-partisan uh, organisation which fact check um, both sides and is doing quite extensive coverage of the EU and doing some very basic um, explanations about what the EU is about. Um, there's also an organisation called Infax, which is a pro-EU um, um, fact-checking service run by journalists. Um, and But they are also holding up to close scrutiny what's being said by both sides. So, for example, uh, Infax have um, fact-checked Boris Johnson's um, uh, explanation um, in the... Um, uh, when he, he wrote uh, his piece in the Telegraph explaining why uh, the uh, he was going to vote um, to leave the European Union. And they said there were six or seven factual errors in his um, right. statement. So that just gives you a flavour of the nature of the debate. And today you'll have heard Michael Gove saying that the legal um, agreement um, which Cameron entered into last week is not legally binding. Hmm. And again, uh, a lot of people take a different view on that. And again, if I could plug um, the UK and the changing Europe, which is also um, something that both Amy and I are involved in, um, which um, is funded by the um, ESRC, the um, Economic Science and Research Council. Uh, they have um, a lot of information on their website, which again is, is non-partisan, trying to explain in fairly clear terms what, um, what's going on. Um, I, I, I have to say in stand-up that I think a lot more people in the UK would be, I think they'd be far more offended if people didn't want to come to the UK. <laughs> um, I um, I wondered uh, if you two could emigrate to any other UK uh, EU country, which one your favourite might be? Well, I'm, I'm biased. I've, I've just spent a period of time in, in Madrid um, and I think it's a fantastic, it was a fantastic place to be. And I was a migrant while I was there and I was treated warmly. Um, and uh, Spanish is a wonderful language and the food is magnificent. And I would second that, given that my dad has a, a place there so I could crash there for free. And he has a paella pan. Count me in for Spain. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, brilliant work. Um, that's, a, that's a good tourist advert for Spain, definitely. So clearly Madrid is the place to go until June if you want to avoid even more boring EU headlines in the news. Why did I say I presume a lot in that interview? I wasn't discovering Dr Livingston. It's so weird, the more interviews you do, the more irritating things that you realise you say out loud to other people. Uh, anyway, thanks to Catherine Barnard and Amy Ludlow for talking to me. It is always fascinating to hear that actual research can be so at odd with what we hear from soundbites. And also, that as Catherine said, soundbites really aren't enough time for anyone to fully explain a situation. 
I mean, well, it's only a referendum that may affect the future of the UK that people will be blindly voting on without the correct information, eh? What could possibly go wrong? There's a lot of links that Catherine mentioned there. Um, The EU Migrant Worker Project can be found at www.eumigrantworker.law.cam.ac.uk. That's a lot of dots. Or you can find it on Twitter at EU Migrant Work and on Facebook at eu.migrantworker. Do check it out. There's fascinating stuff on there. The other websites that Catherine recommended are Full Fact, which I use all the time for this podcast and all my angry tweeting during question time. And that is at fullfact.org or on Twitter at Full Fact. Uh, and also check out infacts.org, which is a pro-EU fact-checking service, but as Catherine said, scrutinises both in and out campaigns. And lastly, ukandeu.ac.uk, which is the website for UK in a changing Europe, which collates independent research on UK-EU relations. Have a read of some of those before June if you can. I mean, you've only got four months and some of those articles on those sites aren't even long reads. Go for it. So, my aim with this show was to make it non-partisan and each week I'd happily mock all the parties for all their doings with no loyalty to any of them. Here we are in week 7, and yet again, every possible topic I've got written down is about something awful the Conservatives are doing. On my list, I've got the teacher shortage, or the NHS staff shortage, or police shortage, or the rise in rough sleeping, or the Human Rights Act being under threat. I mean, it's getting to the point where I'm almost certain that the Conservative campaign in 2020 is simply going to be, well, you all seem to like Mad Max Fury Road so much, we thought we'd help make it real. The very scary thing is they might not even need a campaign slogan in 2020, as it currently looks like the Conservatives are putting several things into place that will make them impossible to unelect. Proposed boundary changes are going to reduce the amount of MPs in the House of Commons from 650 to 600. Less politicians, you say? Well, whoop-dee-doo, that can only be a good thing, right? Wrong, because the areas that will lose MPs are predominantly Labour ones. The boundary changes that were proposed in 2013 had 35 of the 50 seats that were lost as Labour MPs. Those changes were stopped by the Lib Dems, which is weird, isn't it? I mean, I know, right? So odd to think that we now almost miss them. Almost. Not only that, but the seats that stay will gain expanded boundaries and therefore have more voters. Often these voters will reach out of city areas and into suburbia where, you guessed it, there are more Tory voters so they'll no longer be safe Labour seats. And sure, not having a safe seat is good in terms of democracy, but also, in this case, it's very bad in terms of democracy. Then, take into consideration that since the electoral register changed, almost 800,000 people have dropped off it, mainly in student areas and cities where Labour does best. I mean, you'd think you'd notice if that many people fell off a thing. There'd just be a pile of people somewhere, wouldn't there? Hmm. And George Osborne announced a cut in short money, which isn't the sort of dosh that you need in order to buy a new pair of Bermudas. Instead, it is the funding for opposition parties to both campaign and challenge the government. Then on top of all this, Michael Crick, you know the one, the one that's a bit like someone watched the day-to-day and thought that's how journalism should be done. Michael Crick from Channel 4 News has actually uncovered an incredible story where it says the Conservatives illegally cheated in three by-elections in 2014 using over £90,000 more campaign funding than the legal limit and disguising it by keeping certain costs off the books. And so far, they're getting away with it. 
So, the 2020 campaign will be about as democratic as in Morton Joe's Desert Fortress. I think I still have some silver spray paint somewhere if anyone wants a head start. And to think some MPs want to leave the EU because it's undemocratic, eh? That is all for this week's show. Thank you again for listening and please feel free to shout about this show from the rooftops. Or probably it's less dangerous to just tweet Facebook and email people about it instead because standing on rooftops can be extremely tricky and in kind of high winds and the cold you'll probably fall off uh, and join that pile of 80,000 people missing from the electoral register, I presume. Also, uh, feel free to review the show on iTunes. That would be a huge help uh, and it helps iTunes keep us on the front page of the new and noteworthy section, which would be great. Uh, This time, if you want to review it, perhaps use your own EU-based song title. For example, if you're an in-voter, why not try I will always love EU. Or maybe, if you're you're not, you could try 50 ways to leave EU a lover. Uh, It doesn't quite work, Uh, but use that if you're an outie, (laughs) like a belly button. Uh, if you're super bored, go check out uh, the thing that I made when I was very bored, trumpslamdunks.tumblr.com. Uh, I was really bored, but have a look. And a very, very big thanks this week to Hewell Evans from the Box Set Podcast for lots of tips on how to make this show better. Hopefully it's worked. This week's show was brought to you by a proper suit, a done-up tie, and the National Anthem. Put on a proper suit, do up your tie, and sing the National Anthem. Put on a proper suit, proper suit, proper suit, proper suit. Do up your tie, do up your tie, do up your tie, and sing the National Anthem. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.